Ephesians chapter 3 is where we'll be. Ephesians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible or your journal, feel free to open it up. It'll also be on the screen here in just a moment. We broke the book of Ephesians up into two sections, chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 4, 5, and 6. We are wrapping up the first section today, the first three chapters, and it ends with a prayer, a prayer from, uh, from Paul, the writer. When I was a kid going to Sunday school and, and doing that, I would learn about prayer. And, and when I learned about prayer, what I would learn is that there are three responses when you pray that you can get from God. Three responses, right? This is a very oversimplification of it, but it's helpful. Response number one is you could get a yes. You could pray and God could say yes to your prayers and, and uh, that would be great, right? Right, in real time for him to say yes. Another response that God could give you would be no. He might say no to your prayers. And then there's another response that I was taught, which is um, maybe or later or the time's not right, right? That kind of an oversimplification of those in-between times, but has served me well as I pray. I think God's going to either say yes. He, he might say no. He might say not right now, later maybe, right? As we think about that, I wonder for us how many times as we pray, and especially as I read this prayer, I wonder how many times as we pray or when we don't pray that we are actually saying no for God. Like, I wonder how many times instead of praying and, and, and asking him, thinking God could do something, we just anticipate a no, and so therefore we don't, we don't pray at all. We do this all the time with all kinds of stuff, right? Like, for example, uh, maybe you're moving, and you're like, oh, I'd like some help with these boxes and furniture. I'll ask some friends, and then you're like, oh, they don't want to help me move. They don't want to move boxes, and so what do we do? Do we even ask them? Like, oh, and so we just say no for them. Or, or maybe it's the young man who wants to go to prom, and he's like, man, there's this, there's this girl that I want to ask, and, and so, man, I'm going to try to muster up the courage. And then in his brain, he goes to thinking, there's no way she'll say yes to me. There's no way. Man, I, she's here. I'm here way out of my league. And, and so we say no for her and never, never ask. Maybe it happens with a promotion at work. We're like, you know what? I've been working hard. Maybe I could ask for a promotion or a raise. And we talk ourselves out of asking because we're like, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic and things are tight. And so I won't ask. I just say no for them. I wonder how much we do that for church, right? Like, man, I'd invite my neighbors to Christmas Eve, but they don't seem like the church going tight. I'll just say no for them. I wonder if we do that for God. Like we think, think about it and we, 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 we say that we should pray and we might get a yes or a no or a maybe or, or we might just should pray to tell the truth about ourselves or the truth about God in an act of worship. But I wonder how many times we just say no for him. I mean, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. This is one of those verses that's on shirts and mugs and Hallmark cards. You heard it. You know it. You've seen it before. It's that verse that says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we can think or ask, imagine even. You've heard that, right? Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask. And then the question is, well, why don't we ask? Are we, are we scared that maybe the time limit's bound, right? That, that man, it, it, there's, there's already some time limit or maybe there's a diagnosis or maybe lawyers are involved. And so, man, yeah, God can't do anything with that. 
or, or, or maybe it's just because we don't think God cares about our situation. We don't think God cares about what's going on in our lives. And so I just, I just won't ask. Or, or is it maybe because, you know, as you think through the, the, the busyness of life and you think, you know what, I can just handle this on my own. No need to pray about it. I got this. Trust myself. As we look at the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, I think Paul teaches us a few things about why we should ask and uh, not to say no for God. Let me read the entire prayer for you. It starts in verse 14, goes to verse 21. It ends the chapter there. It says this. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. He wants you to understand this, comprehend this, know this. With all the saints, what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, which we just got through singing about. And to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Then verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Um, let's take a look at verse 14 and 15. Let's just try to figure out why in the world sometimes we say no for God. Verse 14 and 15 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father and from and from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. When we look at that right off the bat, we see this idea that we have a father who is the father of heaven and he's the father of earth. And the last word of verse 15 says everything is named from him. Now we learned in Genesis chapter 2 that naming is a sign of authority. We learned that. We saw that when, when God put Adam on the earth, he says, hey, this is my, my, my creation here. I need you to provide and protect it. I need you to care for it. I need you to do this. You're going to rule and subdue it. And then he brings all the animals and says, I need you to name them as an act of authority, delegated authority from God to Adam because mankind is made in the image of God and animals are not. And so they would be under him. They would be under his authority. Naming is an act of authority. Think about God when he names. Matter of fact, he changes names sometimes in scripture, doesn't he? He takes Abram and changes that name to Abraham. He takes Sarai and changes that name to Sarah. He takes Jacob and turns it into Israel. He is showing I have authority. And that's great for the part that says the God who is the one who names everything on earth. But what about the heaven part? What about those families in heaven? What is he talking about there? Well, Scripture tells us he also names those as well. Let me read a few of them to you. In Psalm 147.4, it says this. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great and vast in power. Or what about this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26? Look up and see who created these. He brings out the starry host by number. He calls all of them by name. 
because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. And that idea of heaven, uh, starry host is heavenly host. Typically, when you think of stars in the Old Testament, he's not talking about fiery balls of gas. He's talking about spiritual realm. And they're named. They're named. That's pretty cool, isn't it? The authority over that. And he has authority over heaven and earth. That means this. God is not bound by time and space. God is not bound by our boundaries and, and geography. He's not bound by a deadline. He's not bound by a test result or a contract. He's not bound by that. He is over that. And so oftentimes we say no for God because we're looking at it purely from a physical authority standpoint instead of recognizing God is way above that. It's like my, my kids who sometimes might be turning an assignment in late. You know, it's hard to believe a pastor's kid might do that, right? And they're going to turn an assignment in late and I sit back and say, hey, have you asked the teacher that there might be some a little grace or leniency on that deadline. And their response is, oh, no, in the syllabus it says this. It's like, so, so you're going to say no for the teacher. All because of this. You're not going to ask them that this is what's happened. Like, no, it's just cut and dry. I wonder if we do that for God. It's just cut and dry. This is how it is. Sorry, it's too late for you to do any work here, even though clearly God is the one who names everything on heaven and earth. He has complete and total authority. It's not bad, is it? Now, just let me be clear here. I'm not telling you you're going to get a yes every time. But hot dog, we shouldn't be saying no for God, right? I mean, he's the maker of heaven and earth. There's something else in this passage that I think gives us a little light here. Remember, our Bible is historical. We, we have a historical faith. Jesus walked on the planet. The guy that wrote this, Paul, he, he walked on the earth. He was really in prison around A.D. 61 when this was get going down. And there was an emperor by the name of Nero who was really in charge at that time. This is historical. It, it was really happening. And I tell you that because when we read Ephesians and we read the word father and family, we just see it in English and immediately most of us think of a a, a biological father, somebody who raised us as a father, and we think of our immediate family. But that's not exactly what we're talking about here. Can I just be nerdy for you just a moment? John talks about musicals and Audrey Hepburn in the evening gown. I'm going to talk about Greek words. Is that okay? That's what we're going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Look over there, verse 14, the word father, the word father, pater in Greek, it starts with what we would say is the English, English equivalent, the letter P. Just hang with me just for a moment, just for a moment. Then we go over to the word family, which is separated by a lot of words in English, but not separated by a lot of words in the original language. And we have patreia. So pater, patreia. Most scholars would say Paul is doing something with the word play here. He's, he's got something he's doing with these two words. Now, what he's doing with them, obviously, isn't just a play on words for like father and fatherland. I think there's something else going on here. Remember, I told you, historical now, there was an emperor by the name of Nero who was ruling at this time. The guys were so full of themselves, they would mint coins with their image on them. Let me show you one of those coins right up here. 
Uh, this one's a little hard to read, but this is one, you can find them on eBay, $2,500. They'll get you one of those, right? It's not too bad. Uh, let me show you one that's a little easier to read, a little easier to read front and back so you can see this from the time. This is this time of Nero. That's him. So on the, on the front part there, the one, with the, the one on the left, you see IMP, that stands for emperor. And then you have Nero, and, and you got that part. And then on the back side of the coin, let's take a look at it. We'll start on the right and work our way around the embossing on the coin. He says we have... Pontifus Maximus, that Max stands for Maximus, that would just be chief priest because the emperor would act like a chief priest. That's what that would be. So Pontifus Maximus. And then we have TRP. You see it just to the left of his helmet? That's TRP. That would stand for the ruler of the tribunals. There would be multiple tribunals. There'd be military. There'd be senate. There'd be all those things. Then you come over there and you see COS. And typically there would be Roman numerals there. That would be the cost effects. That's how many times he would have been elected. And so sometimes that would be a one or a two or a three. And then you get down to those final letters. Do you see those? PP, Pater Petraei, Father of the Fatherland. When we read Ephesians 3, 15 and 14, we just see father and family. When they heard it, they would have thought emperor father of the fatherland. Very interesting, isn't it? Now, let me tell you what, a, let me just read a quick quote to you about a scholar, what he would say about this terminology. By the way, uh, George Washington was ascribed to this later on. This, this pater, patria went all the way through a lot, lot, uh, lot of places in our history. He says this, as father of fatherland, Nero, Vespasian, and other emperors who bore this title present themselves as the family head of all Roman citizens and, by extension, all who lived within the empire. Within Roman society, father was, first of all, a term denoting authority and rule. We just talked about authority. He has the authority to name everything on heaven and earth. And then he goes on and says this, Father of the fatherland was not a term of endearment, but a reminder that Caesar was the one with ultimate authority and the one to whom all owed a debt of loyalty. They didn't hear father and think, oh, Caesar's our precious father. They heard father of the fatherland and said, he is the one that we all bow our knee to. Verse 14, I kneel to the Father of heaven, right? Then, says this, Paul makes a counterclaim that God, not the emperor, is the Father from whom every family in heaven and upon earth is named. It seems a little strange to me. This is really convicting, my own prayer life, that the God who has a Authority over heaven and earth. Not Nero, not presidents, not, not, not any of that. The God of the universe who has complete and total authority over heaven and earth is waiting for me to ask. And I say no for him all the time. Isn't that crazy? He's got all of it in his hands, all of it at his disposal. And I'm here saying, ah, he doesn't care. Ah, he can't do that. Ah, don't say no for him. I'm not going to tell you you go say, get a yes all the time. But we sure don't want to say no for him. 
Let's keep reading. Another reason we might think that we shouldn't ask is because God doesn't care. Look at the language here in in verse 16. It says, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man. He says, I don't pray that you would be granted this out of the riches of the coffer of Rome or the spoils of some Roman war, that of the riches of God's glory. You remember how God's glory comes, right? Fire, lightning, thunder, smoke, earthquake, loud trumpet sound, the, the riches of his glory he would bless us with, that he would grant us whatever we're asking out of that. And what does he want? That we would be strengthened in the inner man. Verse 17, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. To think that God doesn't care about us and yet sent Jesus Christ to die, be buried, and on the third day come back to life and then take up residence within you if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, that tells me he cares a whole lot. He cares a whole lot because his residence is now in you. And then he goes on and he says this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You are the dwelling place of Christ. You are loved, loved, loved according to this passage. We just got through singing it, right? It's hard to even imagine that he would love us this much. And if he loves us, he wants to hear from us. And so therefore, we want to ask and not say no for him. It's not that he doesn't care. It's just that maybe we don't care enough. It's maybe we're the ones who don't care about it. And I told you that the first three chapters, there's this change between the first three and the, the next three, four, five, and six. In the first three chapters, Paul doesn't ask you to do a thing. He doesn't tell you to do anything. He doesn't tell you to quit doing anything. He just sits back and says, this is who you are. You're a saint. You're blessed. You're adopted. You're sealed. We are one body. I mean, he just goes over and over and over who we are. And then in four, five, and six, he's going to start telling you to do some things and to change some things. And it's crazy the things that God cares about. He cares about what you say. He cares about lying. He cares about gossip. He cares about drunkenness. He cares. He cares about being lazy. He cares about stealing. This is all in chapters 4, 5, and 6. He cares about anger. He cares about slander. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your kids. He cares about your relationships. He cares. He cares that we live in a world where there's this unseen realm that's out to get us. He cares that we stand against that. He loves you. He cares in chapter 4, 5, and 6 are all these things that we say little and God wouldn't care. No, 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 no. He cares. So we need to ask. We need to ask. Now listen, let me be clear. I'm not telling you he's going to tell you yes every time. But hot dog, we shouldn't say no for him. 
right? I mean, I feel silly sometimes. Miss Perry here, I, I pray for you in algebra too, because I have a child in your class. <laughs> I, and you think he doesn't care, but God made algebra too. And ninth grade boys, he cares. Doesn't he care? If he doesn't, then man, I, I'm wasting my time. And I, I'm not going to tell you we're going to get an A on every test, but man, shame on me if I say no for him. He cares. Third thing. I think sometimes we say no for him because we forget he's got authority over everything. Or we just don't recognize it. Sometimes we think he doesn't care. And the third one is, is we just like to trust ourselves. I got this. I got it. I'm okay. Look at over here in verse 18. Let me show it to you. He says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And you might look at that and say, what in the world does that have to do with trusting ourselves? And when I read this, I see four dimensions there, length and width, height and depth. The last time I checked, we live in a three-dimensional world, don't we? Three-dimensional. Now, there's four dimensions people talk about, and after that, you t I mean, I can't get nerdy with you there, right? The best I got is Star Trek or Star Wars or, you know, time-space continuum. I'm out on all of that. But for the most part, we live in a three-dimensional world, right? We got height, we got length, we got width. And then all of a sudden, we got this word depth in there. And I'm going to tell you right now, I read a bunch of scholars this week on what in the world's happening there. And I'm going to be honest with you, I got, they got a, all kinds of answers. Trying to figure out what in the world is going on with height and width and length and depth. There is something interesting here, though, that I do think that the original listeners, the original hearers of Ephesians would have thought of. That would have hearkened them back to their old life. Their life before Jesus Christ. Um, if you'll remember, the, the place of Ephesus was the fourth largest city in Rome at the time. And they were home to this temple called Artemis. And the temple of Artemis was to worship the god Artemis, or in Greek terms, the god Diana. And there's all kinds of magical spells and incantations that they would have used to try to conjure up some magic, if you will. And that was, their, that was the life that they knew, right? That's how they would figure out how they would go from one thing to the next. Let me show you a picture of, of some of these incantations that would have been on an amulet or a bracelet or, or maybe a, a necklace. This is called the Ephesia Grammatica. And when you see it, it, like they translate that, and all it is is a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. It's like us saying abracadabra, hocus-pocus, zippity-zoo. And they would have put this all over them, trusting that if I keep these words and say these words, I'll be safe. I'll be good. Matter of fact, they would have done this at a marriage so that their marriage would have lasted a long time. They would have done this at the birth of a child so the child would be healthy. They would have done this over their crops. They would have done this for all kinds of stuff like abracadabra, right? Magic. Now, here's what's interesting. You ready? The only other time we get those four dimensions in ancient literature is before a magical incantation. Length, width, height, and depth. As if to conjure something up from another world. 
Now that's interesting, isn't it? Now you might say, well, Russell, how do we know for sure that magic was involved, like this wizardry witchcraft stuff was involved in Ephesus? Let me show it to you in Acts chapter 19. Those of you who can get there quickly, it's just a few books to the left. Acts chapter 19 is the story. Remember, this is historical. Paul traveled to a real city in Ephesus, and he presented the gospel. And when he presented the gospel there, there was power and miracles that God attributed to Paul through Jesus Christ. And some crazy stuff happened. And those people began to believe. And I want you to listen to these words in verses 18 and 19 of Acts 19. It says this, And many of whom had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Crazy. It's their old life. Their old life was length, width, height, depth of Artemis or this book that I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to whip out some magic spell so my marriage will be fine or I'm going to whip out some magic spell so my kids will be fine or I'm going to whip out some magic spell and trust in it that it might get me good crop or good selling today at the market or whatever. And this is what Paul is saying. No, 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 no. You don't want to trust your ability to cast a spell. You don't want to trust your ability to wear an amulet or whatever else that has abracadabra on it you want to trust in God whose power is greater than all of those. That's what you want to trust in. And that's what he says. He says that you would know and comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the width, the height, the depth of God's love. Not a magic book. Not Artemis, not the emperor of God's love. And to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then famous verse 20 right there at the end. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all you could ever ask or think or imagine. And I just wonder if sometimes we're like, you know what? I don't really need to, I don't need to pray about this. I got this. I can handle this. I, I can make this happen on my own. And we go back into old ways and we go back in this Western mentality of I just pull myself up by my bootstraps and try harder and be better and do good and I'll rely on myself. And, and all the time, God's sitting back saying, man, it should be great if you'd ask me. Now listen to me. Listen to me. I'm not telling you he's going to say yes every time. But it sure does make sense to ask him instead of saying no for him, right? So when I read this and I think about this prayer that wraps it up, I think we're fixing to get into chapters 4, 5, and 6, and he's going to go to meddling, anger, slander, gossip, greed, sexual immorality, marriage, Children, relationships, drunkenness, habits, laziness. Boy, it's going to get real. And guess where we're going to need power from? And guess who we're going to need to start asking for some help and not saying no for him? He cares about these things. He cares deeply about these things. 
So here in a second, we're going to worship. We're going to talk about this love of God. We're going to sing about it. Some of us are going to come down here and, and take this bread and juice that represents the, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. But can I just ask you to do something for me today before you come down here? Is there something right now that you know this is on my heart, it's bothering me, I think about it all the time, and I have not prayed about it? Would you just do this for me? Before you come down front, would you just, would you just ask him instead of saying no for him? Maybe you don't have anything to ask. You just got to say it. Would you just say it? Just say it. He cares. He has complete and total authority. He loves you, and his love is deep and wide. Let me pray for us. Yeah, Father, I... I confess that um, I, don't, um, I don't ask and come to you as nearly as much as I should. I say no for you. I assume that you're not interested. I assume that I can handle it or whatever. And so for that, Lord, I just say I'm sorry and I... I know you have perfect authority over heaven and earth. I, I know you, you care immensely or you would have never sent your son. And Lord, I know when I trust myself, I just mess it up. And so, Lord, I just, I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters here that we would just come to you, pray the truth about ourselves and quit saying no for you. Lord, thanks for your son, Jesus Christ, who, because of his death, because of his burial, and because of the resurrection, we can come boldly, and we can ask, and we can talk to you, and we can worship you. So, Lord, I, I pray that we would do that. And then, Lord, as we turn our attention to the tail end of this, this book, that and all these things that Paul is praying for us, the power of of you living in us would be real. Yeah, thanks for loving us, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.